Welcome to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later, where we research the response of our past and review their relevance for today. This is your host, Moshe Kurtz. Hey, welcome to Shoot, Shoot First and Ask Questions Later. I am joined by my colleague, mentor, teacher, Rabbi Yeshua Grunstein. And today we're going to be talking about a really interesting topic. Can you disagree with a gadol? Can you disagree with a major rabbinic leader? And what's unique about what we're going to do together in this episode is that we're not just going to look at simply one tshuva, but we're going to look at two gedolim, two major rabbinic figures, Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Menashe Klein, and their exchange of tshuvos, which reveal their opinions on this topic. Rabbi Grunstein, who's going to be sharing Torah with us today, uh, let's get to know him a little bit. Rabbi Grunstein received rabbinic ordination from the chief rabbin of Israel and holds a BA in education from Herzog College, formerly the rabbi of the Beth Israel Synagogue in Halifax, Canada, and formerly director of training and placement at the Strauss Amiel Institute of Oratora Stone. Rabbi Grunstein serves as director of development of North America at Sohar and is part of the founding faculty of the English-speaking Kolel of Ephrat. An experienced rabbi mentoring rabbis daily from around the globe, sought out clergy for life cycle events, writer and popular lecturer in Israel and around the world. He's the author of Davin Your Age, Beyond Routine, Musings of a Millionaire, which um, I enjoyed reading in particular because that's when we first met each other. We exchanged over ideas of Tircha Ditzibura and how to time davening appropriately. And I learned a lot from you when I was putting that together. Uh, and Rabbi Grunzi is also the co-editor of the Machser B'chai Behem uh, and has over 1,000 recorded classes online in both Hebrew and English. So now it's, what is this, 1,001 or well over 1,000 at this point. So Rabbi Grunstein, um, before we jump into the Makoros, now I understand many of our listeners, some might want to look at the Makoros while they're listening to this, though I imagine many might be in the car driving on a commute and listening as well. But before we jump right into the actual substance, the actual Torah content, I was wondering if you could just share with us what personally intrigued you about this particular topic, about disagreeing with a guttle. Thank you so much, Rabbi Kurtz. Some of what you said was true, and some I still have to aspire to. <laughs> to answer your, your very interesting question, I would say two things brought me to this particular issue. The first was a general interest in the fact that something's changed in the Jewish world. Once upon a time, there were great rabbis, great gedolim, and they lived around various places. But what they said could not travel in the speed of light to every corner of the globe. Today, if indeed someone asks a gadol somewhere a question, the minute he gets an answer, we all know about it. And therefore, the question to me was, well, if a gadol be Israel said his opinion on this, that, or the other thing, can you disagree with him? I don't think in past generations they had to deal with this because practically, by the time they got the information, it wasn't practical. But the second issue was more specific. I, uh, for many years, placed rabbis around the globe. And I follow their careers, and I hear their dilemmas and shilas and many other things that come up. And indeed, in a world in which, thank God, we have gedolim, and thank God they are accessible, 
is there still an importance to a local communal rabbi? Mm. Or maybe not. Maybe there should be a few Gdola Yisrael to answer every single question. And the rabbis in every community is nothing more than a pipe. He'll get the information and implement it in his community. There was a story that happened to one of my rabbis in the field regarding an issue of a mechitza and whatnot. And ultimately, not going into many details because I don't want to identify the shul, one of the members of the shul contacted one of the Gdola Yisrael today and got a certain answer. Mm. The rabbi found out about it. He disagreed with him. He called the rabbi and told him in a very nice way, cynically, would you like to take over my position? If so, I'm stepping aside today. <laughs> because if not, under what right did you butt into what happens in my shul? And indeed, mm. this Gadol Yisrael, who was an amazing, he is an amazing individual, said, indeed, rabbi, I didn't know you were the rabbi. I didn't know they even had a rabbi. And therefore, that was why this interest, this very, very much interests me, because I believe there is a great importance to a local rabbi. I think there's absolute importance that every Jew be learned. And therefore, this issue is a very intriguing one to me. Is there an importance to a lowly, learned Jew when there's Gdola Yisrael so accessible around the world? For sure. And this is, um, as a pulpit rabbi myself, on the ground, I struggle with this all the time myself. Uh, it's not hard for people to look up what Rav Herschel Schachter said about something in particular. I mean, you know, we're recording this right now at the beginning of the war in Israel. And um, I've seen uh, already that people have posted a Rav Herschel Schachter mandated, unclear if he meant for everybody, but at least for the YU-based medrash, to say a Vinu Malkeinu. Now, meanwhile, here we said we're saying to Hillem with the Misha Berach for the captives. So am I now beholden to what Rosh Schechter said? But you're right about the dynamic because I'll have congregants come over to me and say, hey, you know, lowly Joe Rabbi, pulpit Rabbi Moshe Kurtz, you know, the Gadol Hador in our world, Rav Herschel Schechter said X, so why aren't we doing that? And so not to say Rav Schechter meant to mandate it to me, but then what do I say when Gadol Mutobi many say that? So I, I have that precise struggle as well. Um, it's very relevant, very relevant. I appreciate you choosing this topic. So let's let's get a little bit of background about what we're about to see. So we're going to look at an exchange between uh, two of the great gedolim of the 20th century, Rav Moshe Feinstein and Rav Menashe Klein. So Rav Moshe Feinstein, I presume in Akros Moshe, and Rav Menashe Klein in Mishnah Halachos, or I think some who were his opponents derisively called it Mishana Halachos, uh, <laughs> one who changes the Halachos, or right. Halachos. So... Um, can you give us a little bit of background um, before we see Rav Moshe and Rav Nasha Klein's exchange? Um, I'm aware that there's already some interesting history between the two of them. So maybe you could share that with us to give some context. So I'll start by saying that we are recording this during the war in Israel. And I have to admit, it's a nice distraction from what we're dealing with, because the question that Rav Moshe and Rav Menashe Klein disagreed on is not earth shattering. It's not <laughs> critical. The whole world doesn't change because of it. It was a very simple question. Jews live in places without an Eruv, and therefore they're not allowed to carry on Shabbos. The question they had a controversy on was, is it permissible to wear a plastic bag over your first trimal <laughs> on a Shabbos when it rains and it's necessary? Is that considered carrying or not? On the one hand, it's not part of the strimal. You don't usually walk out with a 
plastic bag on your head. On the other hand, you're wearing it, you're not carrying it. That was the difference of opinion. Mm. That was the whole question. Now, not getting into the specifics of that particular question, Rav Menashe Klein disagreed with Rav Moshe. And he writes to Rav Moshe, I am so sorry and I ask your forgiveness because I am disagreeing with the Gadol Hador. I am disagreeing with the greatest rabbi of the generation. And then he states his opposition. Now, what's interesting is Rav Moshe, in his response, decides to address that point. Not just the issue, can you wear this plastic bag over your forehead, but decides to address that point specifically. And these are the words he uses, and I'm translating it from the original. We're talking about Igrod Moshe, Chelek Aleph, Siman Kuf Tet, 109 in the first edition that ever came out of Rav Moshe's response, some called Igrod Moshe. He says to Rav Menashe Klein, the fact is that you come along and apologize to me. And he says, the fact that you disagree with me, and you apologize? That's a waste of your breath. This is the way of the Torah. You have to try and find the truth. And God forbid should you be quiet if you think I'm not telling the truth in a psaq whether I'm mekel and I'm lenient or ben lechumra, that I'm stringent. And he goes on and on along these lines saying that not only are you allowed to disagree with me, if you think I'm wrong, you have to disagree with me simply because that's the way to get to the true conclusion. What does a Jew have to do? I am learning the books. Maybe I'm mistaken. You better point it out because if not, a Jew's going to do something wrong. So ultimately, that's what Rav Moshe says to Rav Menashe Klein. So this sounds a little reminiscent. Um, During my, I think it was, you know, I'm already forgetting when I give my sermons. And certainly, if I don't remember, then I can't hold my congregants responsible. But uh, during one of my high holiday sermons, I think it was Rosh Hashanah, I shared the Gemara, the tragic story of Rav Yochan and Rosh Lakish. And then as the story goes, after Rosh Lakish dies, and they get Rav Yochanan, I think it's Rav Elazar ben Padas, they get Manu Chavrusa. So Rav Yochanan laments, you know, when I would teach something, he would ask, Reish Lakish would ask 24 questions against me, and I'd have to ask, I'd have to have 24 defenses. And Umamela Rav Chashmaisa, through this disagreement, that's how we expanded the discourse of Torah. So it, it sounds like this um, exchange between Rav Moshe and Rav Klein is reminiscent of what we've had in earlier generations as well, this idea of the Melchanta Shel Torah, the war for the sake of figuring out and determining the truth. But what's interesting is this is not Bilchamta Shel Torah and the base Medrash of just theoretical questions and concerns. This is real McCoy. What does a Jew have to do? And Rav Moshe says it's even more critical than the base Medrash because in the base Medrash, you make a mistake. The next day you correct it. When you tell a Jew, do this or do that, either he's violating Shabbos or not violating Shabbos. Mm. So the real consequence is not just an abstract armchair theoretical discussion, but we could actually have real different conclusions and someone potentially could be violating Shabbos, which of course, if they did the maze deliberately, they'd be liable in, you know, back 
back in the good old days, so to speak. I'm putting quotation marks uh, to the death penalty. So there's there's real actual practical ramifications. There's real nafgaminas that come out of this. So this is this is remarkable. And so Rav Moshe, um, just give me a little bit of the uh, biography here. So Rav Moshe, was he actually Rav Menashe Klein's senior? Um, I, I always understood they were like I have the to tell you, generation. Rabbi, every time, every time I've taught this tshuva around the world, someone in the group says, but that's different. And I say, why? Because Rav Menashe Klein, the author of 19 <laughs> volumes of Mishneh Halachot, of course, he can disagree with uh, Rav Menashe, but I, I can't disagree. So I always tell them the same thing. I say, ladies and gentlemen, when I give a source sheet, I cut because I only want to put on the source sheet what's necessary for my lecture. I don't give a whole five lines where I just quote one. But if that's the case, I want you to look again. What's the date on this tshuva? Tavshin Yudbet, which is either 1952 or 1953, depending on what time of the year. At that time, Rav Menashe Klein was in his diapers. No one ever heard of him. He came out of Buchenwald in 1945. He got to America, was learning a bit in the yeshiva of Sanz, I believe, and ultimately was trying his way in insurance and he failed. And he writes a tshuva. We're talking about a Johnny come lately. At that time, Rav Moshe Feinstein has stature. He's the big Rav Moshe. This is the early 50s. And yet Rav Moshe tells him, don't apologize for disagreeing with me and don't think twice about disagreeing with me. Wow. Wow. And so there, I mean, this isn't the first or, I mean, this is the last exchange that Rav Moshe and Rav Nasha client have from my understanding. No, this is one of the first. <laughs> this, is where, this is where it all begins. Now they continue. Now. Rav Manasha Klein, every time he writes about Rav Moshe, the superlatives, God should give me strength. Someone should say that about me one day. He has absolute respect for Rav Moshe, as did anyone else. However, he disagreed with him on a bigger issue than just the plastic bag over the strimal. Hmm. And I have to give a word of background here. Jews almost killed themselves over this issue. And it's along the lines of carrying on Shabbos, but a bit more critical. And that is the building of an Eruv in Brooklyn. That's what I was Rav looking Moshe Feinstein to. <laughs> was 100% against. I'll just say that in Manhattan, he was 98% against, or I would even say 90% against, because he said Manhattan happens to have water on one side, so it's a bit better. But Brooklyn, 100% against. And the one who actually built the Eruv was Rav Menashe Klein. Now, you have to understand, Rabbi Kurtz, that there were Shabbases where people were so convinced of Rav Moshe's point of view that on Friday they ripped down the Eruv. Literally, a, a scandalous act because Jews are relying on it and they're carrying on Shabbos. Unbeknownst to them, it's ripped. That's how much the war was at the time. I didn't know about this because I lived in Israel since I was 11, but on one of my trips back to the States where I was staying in Brooklyn, I simply asked, is there an Eruv? And they all looked at me and they said, there is, but we don't rely on it. And they said it with such glee that I didn't understand what the story was. And then I got the background story. In any it's, case. Uh, it's a real thing. I have family that lives in Borough Park. Um, there was a, they, they had a bris on Shabbos recently. So my Bobby and Zadie, my grandparents went there and my uncle had to ask their Rav, you know, who's the Rav there? Who's the Mardasar in the neighborhood there? Big question related to our topic. And she got a Hector to use her, um, 
uh, one of her hand push cart things that she uses to get around there on Shabbos to rely on the use of the Erev. So, you know, you can see it's interesting. People will, there's middle positions where people will be um, machmir for it, but they could also be flexible to accommodate the opinions that permit it. So it's, uh, but I know I, I don't want to get too much into the Erevin discussion. You know, it's really fascinating. No, it's Ocean very Parkway, technical. is it Bafilish Me Charlotte Shard? Does it go straight down? Is it really Risha Saravim? But I, I know we don't want to get it too, go too far afield on that. So Rav Moshe Feinstein was dead against, and Rav Menashe Klein actually built the Erev. There was a Kol Korah, an actual proclamation against him of a whole bunch of rabbis saying he's a terrible person and whoever relies on the Erev is violating Shabbos. You know, everything that you do when you disagree with someone, you tell, you don't just say, I disagree, but you say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. At that point, Rav Moshe Rav Menashe Klein wrote a tshuva. And he says, I just don't understand the people that wrote that proclamation because Rav Moshe Feinstein, who's dead against me, on the Erev issue, is the one that told me that I can disagree with him. Not only disagree with him if I want to, but I have to. And he says, in this issue, we're talking about Jews, that the difference between a Shabbos where they're totally locked at home versus a Shabbos where they can go out to shul as they've done their whole life, such as in the case you just mentioned of your Bubby and Zadie with a walker, there's a huge difference. Imagine telling someone at the age of 70 who needs a walker from now on, until you drop dead, you will never, ever go to shul again on Shabbos, ever. If Yomtev comes out during the week, say thank you. But outside of that, you're not going to shul. So Rav Benashe Klein writes a tshuva, and what's interesting about it is, he says, not only did Rav Moshe allow me to do this, this has been Jewish history. You mentioned one of the Gemaras. Well, he goes through Jewish history, and he starts with Moshe and Aaron. Moshe was greater than Aaron in our Torah. And yet in Parsha Chimini, Aaron disagrees with Moshe, and Moshe says, you know, you're right. There's a famous pasuk with four words in that parsha that says, Vayishma Moshe, Vayitav Be'inav. Moshe heard and said, wow, that's correct. And he goes through every other example that he could think of, in which he brings all these great rabbis that disagreed with the rabbis of the generation that were bigger than them or maybe even their Rebbe, going through the Rivet on the Rambam, the reef that disagrees with the Balamor and the Rivet, Rav Eliezer Reish Lakish about Rav Yochanan, and onwards and onwards, getting down to Rav Moshe and him. Hmm. And then ultimately, he basically says that at the end of the day, I have a responsibility to tell the truth. And in my opinion, this is the Psach Halacha. I have a responsibility to say so, even if I disagree with Rav Moshe, even if I disagree with the Gadol. So the first thing I think that's important in this discussion is, if you don't disagree, you will never get to the truth. If everyone just agrees with you all the time, it can't sharpen your point of view. To sharpen your own point of view, you need people to question it, disagree with it. Mm. You mentioned earlier the base Medrash, the most important thing for a Rebbe, a teacher of Torah, is to have students. Because they question him and they sharpen and they fine tune what he says. If he's in a room somewhere and he never talks to anyone and all he does is put out books, it's very <laughs> difficult to rely on it. That's yeah. why I like your books, Rabbi Kurtz, because you're a community rabbi and yeah. you're writing books. So I know the books have both. 
because I'm assuming well, that's the, the, the motivation as with your books as well, is that we were probably, you know, saw certain things that we thought were questionable and then we decided to write about them. So, right. It's not just theoretically, uh, what was it? The Trimus Deshen, uh, who I think it was Trimus Deshen, like he made, up some, Deshen, the, made up, yeah, he made up some of his shilas. You know, like yeah. these aren't theoretical shilas, questions of like Tirch and Sibura, do flags belong in, in the sanctuary? These are, <laughs> these are real things. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, there's a, there's a principle, that, um, that I'm sure you're familiar with, which is that once one rabbi, now there's parameters, of course, to this halach, but basically right. it's the general principle of not shopping for a heter. Once ra one rabbi gives a psak, particularly one that asers prohibits something, the other rabbi is not allowed to then give his second opinion to someone, which I'm always careful when I give someone a more machmir, if I think something is not kosher, it needs to be kosher, I say, by the way, assuming kavod is the problem here, I give you permission to get a second opinion on it, which I learned from my Rebbe Rav Tendler, who said, when he, yeah. when I asked him an abortion question, I made a mistake of doing that. He said, uh, thankfully not for myself, uh, but he said, you know, you can ask a second opinion on it, because uh, he, of course, was very forthright about his uh, more machmir stance on the matter. As Just for the Moshe. listeners, we're talking about the son-in-law of Rav Moshe, who was, if we talk about opinionated, uh, put that to the second power. Your Rebbe, Rev Tendler, Zechrona Levracha. Opinionated okay. and principled, principled. <laughs> and no problem to say you can get a second opinion, which just shows what an extraordinary person he was. Absolutely. Now, um, as we're, you know, we're, we're coming a little bit toward the end of the session, um, I'm curious, just like the general, um, I guess reception history is an interesting way to put it, but do you find that this kind of, intellectual honesty that Rav Moshe Feinstein exhibits here, do you find that other Gedoli Israel, other rabbinic leaders of his caliber also exhibited a similar willingness for those to disagree with them? Or do you think this is more unique to Rav Moshe? I'm going to say as follows. When it comes to the Gedoli Israel themselves, they absolutely are like Rav Moshe. They absolutely talk and learning with uh, colleagues and Rabbanim, many of them younger than them, who question them, and that's the way of the Torah. One of my favorite videos that I love watching, even though it's in Yiddish, and I understand every other word in Yiddish, <laughs> is one of the great Gedolim that we just uh, lost in the past generation, who was the Rosh Yeshiva of Panovich. Now, for some reason, I'm blanking on his name. No, uh, no. I'll get to it in a minute. Which which generation? Uh, you're talking about Rashad? No, he just died a year ago. Oh, I'm blanking out myself, but some listener is going to scream at us for forgetting this. He was talking about how do you relate to children that are no longer religious, and right. he gave his point of view, and they're questioning him, and they're questioning him, and they're questioning him, and he keeps on standing in his point of view, and it's about a thirty minute video, and never once said in that particular exchange, "I said so." Why are you questioning me? So when it comes to the rabbis themselves absolutely like Rav Moshe. He's not unique. When it comes to their students who are usually younger, and Rav Benashe Klein says this in his tshuva, unfortunately, out of their love of their Rebbe, they violate halacha. Out of the love of their Rebbe and how important he is and how his opinion is amazing, they sometimes go out of their way to show no one else is allowed to say anything ever because he opened his mouth. And that's not the way of the Torah. I'll just give you one more tshuva, Rav Moshe, along these lines. Someone moved to Bnei Brak. Bnei Brak is known as the city of the Chazon Ish. The Chazon Ish was very opinionated as well, had very unique points of view on many different issues, from how you build a sukkah to how much is a shear in halacha, how much is a 
is a certain uh, measurement in Jewish law. To make a long story short, someone said, I'm gonna, I don't know if I can move to B'nai Brak because I disagree with the Chazonish on various things. Maybe I shouldn't move there because, you know, he's like the rabbi of the city. And Rabbi Moshe says, this is after he died. And Rabbi Moshe said, what do you mean? It shows great kavod to the Chazonish that when you learn something, you take his point of view and you disagree with it. I'll say it in my language. If you're not put in cheirem, you're not important enough. <laughs> but if you're important enough for someone to speak against you, then you know, hey, I'm so important. I said something in Stamford, Connecticut, and a rabbi in New York spoke against me. From here, I'm an important rabbi. So, so, so he basically says that about moving to B'nai Brak, even though you disagree with the Chazanish. So I think that's a good point. I think that holds up true, though. This this actually, I want to push back on that point a little bit, because that brings me to the final point, which is, We've been talking about how those who are not Gidolim can disagree with those who are Gidolim. And I realize the whole term Gadol needs to be unpacked, but just for short, you know, for easy use, we need just um, scholars of very high caliber, not just a Joe pulpit. That have many followers. Yes. Like myself. Right, right. So we could, that this is deserving a whole discussion on its own. But, you know, I think there are sometimes, and I find this most often that the people who are most willing and to just flippantly disagree with Gedolim oftentimes tend to be the least qualified to do that. There are some, there are some real scholars out there. I'm not going to mention their names who just are huge Tamide Chachamim and they just have different Hashkafic opinions. They, they do exist, but I find that there's so many pulpit rabbis and certainly, unfortunately, congregants who just don't have a sense of a framework of who these scholars are that they could just flippantly disagree. So on the one hand, I really love Rav Moshe's humility and other Gudom's humility. You know, you mentioned in the Tosefta as well that uh, Shammai and Hillel got along and it was only their students who who started making all the fights. Um, on the one hand, I, I really appreciate the humility to allow for disagreement, but I wonder almost if, you know, there still needs to be some kind of reasonable scope of who has an, a right to an opinion, right? So for instance, if I don't have a right to determine what belongs in the DSM, what belongs in the quote-unquote Bible of psychology, I have a BA in psychology from YU, that's it, a bachelor's in psychology. That just gives me a very vague survey of the material. It does not qualify me for an opinion on the matter. So I wonder almost, you know, in the Haredi world, I think this is like a very important discussion needs to be had about are we allowed to have a different opinion than what the Moetzis Gedolei Torah tell us? But on the other hand, I wonder on the other extreme in the modern Orthodox world, I wonder almost if the issue is that we don't even have this Havamina. We don't have this question in the first place about disagreeing with Gedolim. It's almost a Dover Pushit. It's like, yeah, of course I could disagree. Like, who's that rabbi over there in Ivory Tower telling me what to do? What right does he have to tell me what halacha is? I can do what I want. Now, obviously, I don't mean to caricature and characterize the entire modern Orthodox world that way, but there's certain important non-small non, uh, segments. Uh, these aren't nominal numbers who either consciously or subconsciously had that philosophy. So I wonder almost if the bigger issue is that we're not asking the question in the first place about disagreeing with Gedolim. I think that uh, the ironclad rule I've told people is that you have to keep two rules. And if you can't, then you shouldn't be disagreeing. Or to be more precise, keep your mouth shut on this issue. Number one, like Rav Moshe says about the Chazon you have to come to it with the greatest respect. These are great people. And you have to write and talk to them with the greatest respect. 
The minute I see something against a rabbi, which is written not in that way, I don't read it. And number two, as the Ramah Paskins in Shulchan Aruch, in the Code of Jewish Law, regarding can you disagree with your own teacher, where the Ramah says you can, if you have sources. In mm. other words, you can't just say, I feel differently. You're talking about a great rabbi that after going through the books came to a conclusion. Well, if you go through the books and come to a different conclusion, then you should state it, as did Rav Menashe Klein to Rav Moshe. But he didn't come to him and say, I disagree with you, have a good day. He said, I disagree with you, and I disagree because of this source and that source and some other source. And it's a beautiful exchange then. So those are the two ironclad rules that I have. First of all, you have to have the utmost respect. And number two, you better know what you're doing. And I'll just repeat the following that I heard from Rav Rakefet about the Rav. The Rav said in the name of his grandfather, Rav Chaim Brisker, Rav Soloveitchik said in the name of his great grandfather, of his grandfather who was a great rabbi as well, you can disagree with the code of Jewish law, but you bet they'll know what you're doing. <laughs> it's true. And... Um... I oftentimes find that that's an issue nowadays. You know, I might be I might be romanticizing and overgeneralizing. You'll forgive this, but you know, I almost miss the good old days where most of the apikarsa, most of the heresy had to be dealt with, were like people who knew what they were talking about, and you had to really reckon with you know the enlightenment and Bible criticism. And I find most of today, it's not people who really read through the literature and have real substantive philosophical disagreements. It's more just like. I don't like what the Torah says. I think it's immoral. I feel it's wrong. And um, it's like a whole, you know, meanwhile, these rabbis have actually gone through the literature and you're just saying that you don't like it. I mean, I know, again, that's a little bit of a gross overgeneralization and simplification, but I find that that's, that's what I'm seeing nowadays. Um, but anyway, let me let me ask Ray Grunson, do you have any final reflections just on the relevance of this exchange between Rav Moshe and Rav Menashe Klein? Or are there, are there any ambiguities or unanswered questions about what it means for discourse that we have today? I believe that the most important thing that I could say about this particular issue is encourage every Jew to continue learning. The more you learn, the more you can have an opinion. And yes, if need be, even disagree with a great rabbi. The less you learn and you just have a value system that you have like every human being, then you usually have an opinion that's based on your value system, but not based on the sources. And therefore, I think that it's extremely important to encourage every Jew out there, from the smallest Jew to the biggest Jew, continue learning Torah. And the more you learn, the more you're part of a discussion. The more you're part of a discussion, the more the Jewish people benefit. Absolutely. Well said. And if I may, I, I want to just circle back to one other thing that we start off with. It just occurred to me we didn't answer it yet. So if Joe Pulpit Rabbi Moshe Kurtz um, wants to make a decision, I mean, I'm only an assistant rabbi, so it's really Rabbi Cohen's decision. But if a Joe Pulpit Rabbi somewhere wants to make a decision that goes against what Rav Herschel Schechter and the Moetzis Gedolei Torah of why you have decided, um, and they've gone through the literature, it sounds like your conclusion is, is that they're entitled to Paskin for their community. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Do you think, is that what we are gaining from this discussion here? Is that what we Not should Not only be? could the Mara de Atra, or the rabbi of the community, Paskin for his community, if you mention Rav Herschel Schechter, who was one of the great Gdolim of our generation, Rav Herschel Schechter constantly reminds people that in the Gemara, there was a minority view that allowed eating chicken and milk. And the mm -hmm. Gemara says that in his town, they followed his point of view that wasn't accepted by any other Jew. And they were saved for some sort of a Roman... Uh, a Roman invasion. 
that came into their town because they followed their local rabbi. A local rabbi has responsibility over his community because a local rabbi knows his community. That's something that a Gadol Yisrael, as great as he is, is missing. That particular needs of that particular community. And That's therefore, true. Rav Herschel Schechter, who's a great Gadol Paskins for the base Medrash in YU, because he knows the base Medrash in YU. And I bet you that if you told him about your shul, he'll be able to make an informed decision about your shul. What he's missing right now is that information about your shul. And therefore, a community rabbi has the absolute responsibility to paskin for his shul. And I'll just say one more word. If he doesn't, and he just says, we're going to follow this rabbi or that rabbi who's greater than me, he will bear the responsibility mm. if the decision is wrong, not the great rabbi. That's that. That's quite a position, and I appreciate you stridently articulating that. So I'm glad we got. I'm glad we got an answer to our question at the beginning. And Rabbi Grunstein, I want to thank you again for your time. And again, at time of this recording, um, there is unfortunately a terrible war happening there at Israel. So I am wishing you, your family, all your loved ones, and all of Am Israel much safety and security. And God willing, we shall only hear Besoros Tovos. Oh, man, I thank you for the support at this very critical time. And please continue to daven and do everything you're doing. It warms the heart of every Israeli and most importantly, those fighting in the field. Amen. All right. Take care. Stay safe, Rabbi Grunstein. Thank you. Thank you. And all the very best, Rev Kurtz. Thank you for listening to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Please make sure to subscribe to get the latest updates. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate us and leave a review. Do you have a response to the response that you want to share on the show? Please send your letter to the editor to mitchellmkurtz at gmail.com. And God willing, we would love to consider your perspective to be shared on a future episode. This is Moshe Kurtz, and I look forward to reviewing more responses with you next time on Shoot First, Ask Questions Later.